welcome to the sermon cast from King Road Church. If you'd like to connect with us or browse resources, please go to kingroad.ca and click New Here. It's our desire that God uses this message to bring you closer to Him. To the choir master according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted, they trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast, and you was on you I was cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength has dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I count all my bones, they stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him. And stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the con- on the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship before him, shall bow all who go down to dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. 
God's word is so deep and rich. And there are some Psalms, even like this one today, that's kind of not doing it justice looking at it in one week. Or think about Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the Bible at 176 verses. That Psalm alone is going to take multiple weeks. So there's a lot to look at in God's word. It is not something that we can easily rush through, nor should we. But in deciding to preach Psalm 22 today, I was, I was actually surprised that this one hadn't been preached yet. This is, if there's one psalm that you want to look at uh, that, that points to the Messiah, you would say Psalm 22. This is the one. Although when you look at it from our side of the cross, yes, we would say that. But if you were on the other side of the cross, pre-Jesus' life, death, and resurrection... There's no way you would have said the Messianic Psalm is Psalm 22. There's no mention of God's anointed one. There's no mention of kingship or prophet or priest. All of the offices that Jesus totally and perfectly fulfilled aren't even mentioned in this. It's about somebody suffering and somebody dying and somebody struggling. That's not what the Messiah is supposed to do. Yet God in his infinite wisdom showed that it is is exactly what the Messiah had to do. And through that suffering, God did a miraculous work, identifying with us in our pain, while at the same time giving us the answer to our pain. And that's the big idea for today's sermon. Through the cross, God shows that he both identifies with us in our pain and has the answer to our pain. We're going to look at it in three parts. First point, God hears our cries because of his covenant with us, verses 1 through 10. And second, the pain may be close, but God is closer, verses 11 through 21. And then suffering may be endured. Actually, suffering will be endured, but deliverance is assured So getting into that first point, God hears our cries because of his covenant with us. So King David wrote this psalm approximately a thousand years before the birth of Jesus. And it was a psalm of lament. It's a psalm that cries out to the Lord out of his pain, out of his suffering. And the first words of it are to the choir master. So this psalm is meant to be sung. It's meant to be sung as a corporate act of worship. And David had no clue when he was writing this. He had no clue of how his future great-great-great-great-great-grandson in Jesus would fulfill the words of it. So imagine David, sinful, human King David, writing these words. Put yourself in his shoes. Perhaps this was during the time when he was, we don't actually know when in his life he wrote this, It could have been while he was running from Saul before he was king, so he had already been anointed king, but is running because Saul is pursuing him, wanting to kill him. Could have been during that time. Definitely the words of the psalm would fit that. Or it could have been the time later when he was already king, and he's running away from his own son who had committed a coup against him and taken his throne Whatever the case, David cries out to God. 
And this isn't just any God. He's not just, he doesn't just call him Lord. He says, my God. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? And he hears no answer. David is at one of the lowest points of his life. And as he cries out to God, he feels like his prayers just aren't being answered. He feels like the the prayers that he's sending up, the pain that he's feeling, the, the struggles that he is feeling within him, and as he calls out for help, that they're just hitting that ceiling and coming back to him. He's crying out day and night, but getting no resolution, no rest from his pain. Have you ever felt like that? I'm sure many of you have. I'm sure many of you have been in times and struggles and seasons, maybe years, maybe decades, where you've been crying out and crying out and crying out, and it just feels like there's never an answer coming back. These things happen. These times come, even for the most faithful of believers. Sometimes these struggles are incredibly dark, incredibly overwhelming. This is what theologians and people in church history have called the dark night of the soul. It's a period of life where incredible grief and sadness takes hold of us to a point of crisis in our faith. It feels like the pain will never cease. It feels like the grief will never turn to joy. And when we pray, it feels like the Lord isn't listening. Martin Luther, the great reformer, had times like this. Charles Spurgeon talked about times like this. R.C. Sproul wrote this about the dark night of the soul. He said, the dark night of the soul... This phenomenon describes a malady that the greatest of Christians who have suffered or have suffered from time to time. It was the malady that provoked David to soak his pillow with tears. It was the malady that so afflicted Martin Luther that his melancholy threatened to destroy him. This is no ordinary fit of depression, but it is a depression that is linked to a crisis of faith, a crisis that comes when one senses the absence of God or gives rise to a feeling of abandonment by him. I think this psalm is one of those for David, one of those times where he was feeling that dark night of the soul, where he was soaking his pillow with tears. I think that's what was going on here. But look at David's next words, acknowledging who God is and God's faithfulness through the generations. He says, verse 3, Yet you are holy, Enthroned on the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. David is experiencing this dark night of the soul, yet he also is turning that to praise. He is taking that time and he is not just wallowing in in self-pity and letting himself get to despair, but he is turning it to praise, acknowledging who God is and acknowledging all that God has done. 
acknowledging that because, and tr- showing his trust in God because of God's covenant love for him. And how God's covenant love has shown valuable and trustworthy and faithful to his ancestors. He rests on the fact that, and he says this, in you our fathers trusted and you delivered them. To you, God, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. See how he's looking back on everything that's happened in his ancestors' lives, in, in his nation's life. He is looking back on all the ways that God has provided for them. And he is putting his trust in God because God has proven himself to be faithful through all those times, even outside of his own life. He is not just focusing on his own experience but he is looking back on the experience of all of God's people, of all of God, all of the time. And he sees God's faithfulness. Even though he's almost at the point of despair, he remembers God's faithfulness to his ancestors. He remembers God's covenant love shown to Abraham by giving him a son at the age of a hundred. He remembers God's covenant love shown to his ancestors in Egypt when God delivered them from Pharaoh with miracle after miracle after miracle. He remembers God's covenant love shown to his great-grandmother Ruth, whose life was all but over, except for Boaz, her kinsman redeemer, who redeemed her. And he says, if our fathers could trust in you in those times, I can trust you in this one. He has a resolution in his faith that he is saying, I can see, God, how you have worked in those times. Surely they felt as low and as in this dark night that I do, but they trusted in you, and so will I. He reestablishes his faith in the Lord. People can mock him. They can call him names. They can try to kill him, but he still knows that God's covenant with him stands. So I want to challenge you all today, if this is a time in your life where you're feeling this way, you're having this dark night, you're having these times where you're, you're tempted to go into that place of despair, you're feeling like that dark night of the soul, remember God's faithfulness. First, look back on your own life, look, at back, at, look back at all the times, look, remember your testimony of how God talked to you and and taught you through your mentors, through those who brought you the gospel in the first place. Remember those times of, of hardship and suffering in the past where he was there and where he provided and where he got you through it. Then look at your family. Look at the family before you. If you come from a long line of heritage of faith in Jesus Christ, look back on those lives. Look back on the sufferings of our ancestors and, and then go to the scriptures and look how God provided for all his people through Old Testament and New Testament. You can see God's faithfulness over and over and over when people were thought they were at their lowest, when they thought they couldn't go on. And the Lord was faithful. His, the Lord is faithful to us even when our faith wanes. Remember his covenant with you in Christ. Know that God is hearing your cries and he will sustain you because in Christ he has made a covenant with you and he remains with you even in the pain. 
So point two, the pain may be close, but God is closer. Verses 11 through 21, David cries out to the Lord to not be far from him as his enemies are surrounding him. And David, if you, when you read these passages, these verses in this psalm, you can see how imminent a danger David felt against his life. He compares these surrounding enemies to a pack of dogs coming at him and surrounding him, to lions ready to devour him, to bulls of Bashan. Now, to us, a bull of Bashan, that doesn't really mean anything. But in ancient times, outside of Israel, on the other side of the Jordan, there was this very fertile area where the Israelites would raise cattle. And so they'd have their herds over there, their herds of cattle, wonderful pasture to raise their cows on, this area of Bashan. But there was also a wild breed of cattle that were known to be ferocious. And you're going, ferocious cows, Paul, yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, if you grew up on a farm, maybe you don't think they're so ferocious, but if you grew up in the city, like my wife, you might be a little more scared of them. There's a time when we were dating, uh, when we were out, and and uh, we were actually on my parents' farm, and uh, the neighbor had a nice pasture up on the hill that overlooked the valley. And so I, I brought a picnic up there, and I was like, oh, we're going to have a nice picnic up there together, just me and Carla, and, you know, we're, in, we're teenagers, we're... She didn't grow up on the farm, I did. I set up this picnic. It's a beautiful evening, looking out. And all of a sudden, we hear this sound behind us. We turn around, and it's a cow. Just a Holstein, um, oh, Hereford, Hereford cow. The the red and white ones with the white heads. He's just behind us, looking at us. And Carla got up and booked it across that field so fast, over the fence, She's like, get out of there. What are you doing? And I'm just sitting there, and the cow and I are looking at each other. And then the cow went back to grazing. No big deal. Bulls, on the other hand, are, yeah, I would have been running if it was a bull. Bulls are dangerous, and these bulls of Bashan were known to be incredibly dangerous. You didn't want to be near one. And this is exactly what David is referring to. You don't want to be around a bull when they want to, when they have you in their sights. You want to get away. And David couldn't get away. He was surrounded by his enemies and he's comparing them to all of these vicious animals that want to destroy him. So immediate was the danger that he writes as though death is sure. In Hebrew, where it says, all my bones are out of joint, literally, it says, my bones are scattered about. So he, he, he's thinking that these animals, these men, these wild people that are surrounding me, these enemies that want to kill me, they're going to come, they're going to take me, they're going to tear me apart, and that'll be the end of me. And we know that David didn't literally die at the hands of his enemies. But in the depth of his fear and his pain, he must have thought it was a foregone conclusion with the way he writes here. He even says, you lay me in the dust of death. Yet even at this point in his torment, he still believes that the Lord will save him. Look at verses 19 through 21. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. 
Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Even in the deepest death or depth of this feeling like he's surely going to die, he trusts that the Lord will save him. If you think about the Old Testament and other saints in the Old Testament that you've heard of who faced times where they were facing ferocious animals, who do you think of? Probably Daniel. Daniel thrown in the lion's den. Why did he get thrown in the lion's den? Just for being faithful to Yahweh. The king had issued a decree. You can't pray to anyone other than me. And Daniel continues to pray to Yahweh. And so he gets thrown into the lion's den. Daniel was faithful. He was a man of faith. He was a man of prayer. Did nothing to deserve that treatment. He was faithful to the Lord in a culture that was very against his faith. And his regular communing prayer with God prepared him for those hard times. And the Lord delivered him. So a question for all of us today as we head to, into summer. How's your prayer life? How's your prayer life? You see, prayer is a training ground for the fight of faith. Prayer is the boot camp for the war that is waged against your heart. Prayer is the power of God that brings peace to the troubled soul. Philippians 4, 6, and 7, the Apostle Paul writes, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. See, he's saying, train yourself up for those times when the trouble comes, when the suffering comes, when the dark night of the soul comes. Train yourself up beforehand and be in prayer. If you're in prayer, if you're in, get in God's word, if you're reading the Psalms, praying the Psalms, praying other pieces of God's word, looking at the Apostle Paul's prayers through his epistles, you'll be training yourself for those hard times. And God will be faithful. And if you don't know how to pray, remember to open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6 and look at the Lord's, the Lord's pattern prayer from Matthew 6, verses 9 through 13. And if you've forgotten it, it says this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So he's acknowledging God as Father in heaven, and he is worshiping him for who he is just based on his name. Hallowed be your name. Lord, you deserve to be praised. Your name is holy. It is above all. You are the creator, we're the creation. You are holy, we're sinful. Hallowed be your name, not mine. Your kingdom come, God. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He's praying for God to bring the fullness of his kingdom to earth, to bring the holiness that is in heaven, all the glory, the goodness, the perfect praise of God in heaven to earth. And that God's will is done here as it is in heaven. 
and then he gets to the requests. Okay, I think a lot of us in our prayer lives, the first thing we jump to, Lord, I need this. Lord, heal this person. Lord, heal me. Lord, fix this problem. But notice what he does first. He hallows his name. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done. And then he says, give us our day, this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We can remember that as God's children, for God's children, deliverance is assured. And that's the third point. Suffering will be endured, but deliverance is assured. The last verses, 22 to 31, David's writing turns from this this writing that is very, that dark night of the soul, and yes, there's praise within it, but it's still this very deep, hard time of suffering, till now, in verse 22, becomes this time of praise and joy and excitement. He says, I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you offspring of Israel. But then he doesn't stop with Israel. He says, everyone will worship the Lord. He continues, all the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. So people everywhere, all over the globe, no matter where they are, every tribe, tongue, and nation will be coming to worship the Lord and know who he is. Continuing, and all the families of the nations shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Now, nations here doesn't mean some geopolitical organization like we have in our world right now. So this isn't, he's not talking about England and Canada and Saudi Arabia and India and Paraguay and Brazil. These aren't, this isn't what he's talking about. Nations here means Gentiles. All the Gentiles will know him, and will worship him. So whether you, And whether you're wealthy or poor, whether you've already lived and died, or if they are still yet to be born, all people for all time will know who the Lord is, and they will bow to him. All knees, every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How does this happen? Through the cross. This truly is the psalm of the cross. Because now we're going to look at this passage and how it unfolds in the blindingly glorious light of Christ. So from the cross, Jesus cries out the first words of the psalm. He says, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine the grief and suffering of the Son of God as he, sat, as he hung there on the cross and cried out those words. The eternal Son of God, in perfect communion with Father and Spirit, calling out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The perfection of Trinitarian love now experiencing God's holy wrath. And he knew he would have to experience it. In Gethsemane, he cried out to the Father, remove this cup from me. 
Lord, may there be another way. But he concludes that prayer with, not my will, but yours be done. He knew exactly what he would have to go through. He knew he was under such stress in the Garden of Gethsemane that his sweat became like blood. And he willingly endured it. Jesus is not the uh, victim of some divine wrath that comes upon him uh, unwillingly. No, he, Father, Son, and Spirit, for all time, in eternity past, made this plan together. Jesus willingly went to the cross and took the wrath of God on himself for us. And while he was taking that wrath of God, cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus also lived out verses 6 through 8 where it says, but I am a worm and not a man scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. Imagine him, right? Taking the cross, carrying his cross down the road all the way to Golgotha. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. You can hear the sarcasm. You can hear the mocking. It wasn't that exactly pretty much word for word of what Jesus' enemies said to him while he was on the cross? Right? And those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads. This is Matthew 27, verse 40. And saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. He is the king of Israel, let him come down from the cross, and we will believe in him. He trusts in God, let God deliver him now, if he desires him. There's so many details from within this psalm that are lived out by Jesus on the cross. Did not our Savior's enemies surround him like a pack of dogs and like the bulls of Bashan? Yes, they did. Did not our Savior's bones come out of joint at the beatings that he took? Were not our Savior's hands and feet pierced with nails to hang him on a Roman cross? Did not our Savior's enemies gloat over him and cast lots for his clothing? Did not our Savior call out in thirst because his mouth had dried up? Did not our Savior's body pour out water and blood when his side was pierced? Did not our Savior have his body laying down in the dust of death? To all of these things, yes. He suffered for our sins, for our sake. It was my sin that held him there. He endured unimaginable pain and he was, he was delivered from it. Jesus rose physically from the grave and once again he praised the Lord in the congregation. He proclaimed his rule and majesty to his brothers and sisters after his resurrection and he walked on the earth with them. So in our affliction and pain, in our affliction and pain, do we have a Savior who knows us? Yes, we do. 
Do we have a Savior who understands our pain? Yes, we do. Has he accomplished what he set out to do? Yes, he has. The last, <laughs> the last verse of this psalm, the last word says he has done it. And in Hebrew, the translation is it is finished. Did he not cry out those words? Yes, he did. So listen, you can know that whatever suffering or pain or loss you are facing in this life or your loved ones are facing in this life, those who know the Lord, it will end. It will end. And we will be delivered from it, either now or when Christ comes back in eternity. And when he returns in glory, he promises a celebration feast, which is also referred to in this psalm, verse 26, says, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. So in the end, praise Jesus. Praise Jesus. He is the Lord's suffering servant. He has suffered in our place. He has endured affliction in our place. So that when you trust in him, you can know that he not only, he not only identifies with you in that pain, but he is the answer to your pain. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, the majesty and marvelous words that we see here, Lord. Incredible prophecy about your coming and your suffering. Lord Jesus, we can't imagine what you went through. but we praise you that you did. We praise you that in, our, that in your suffering, Lord, you, you suffered in ways that we can't imagine so that while we're going through the things that we do experience, Lord, we can look to you and know that you are a great high priest who has suffered in every way like we do. So, Lord, we thank you that you took the punishment for our sins upon yourself and that now you give us your righteousness and we can trust you and know that in the end we can have eternity with God because you have taken the wrath for us. So Father, we thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus. Be with us, Lord. For those who are in those dark nights of the soul, I pray that you bring them great comfort Pray that as they dive into your word, that by your spirit, you would just be that balm for their soul. That you would comfort them. That you would give them rest. And Lord, that you would give them deliverance on this side of heaven. But Lord, we trust you. And we give it all to you. 
all of this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can find us on social media at King Road Church. Have a great week.